Welcome, Refuge Church. Welcome to Saints at Refuge. Uh, happy Resurrection Day. We love you. We miss you. We would rather be together. Uh, but obviously because of COVID-19 and, you know, wanting to love our neighbor well and be respectful of our government, we can't. Um, but what a great day that we want to celebrate together, the resurrection of Jesus Christ today as we've been going through this gospel series. And so uh, let's, let's get into it. Let's start looking into um, the closing out this series together. We've been in this series uh, for five weeks now that uh, we've just been going back through the gospel as our Easter series. And we've been looking at the different aspects of the gospel of Mark um, that give us, four, you know, kind of key attributes or um, key ministries in the life uh, of Jesus Christ. And so we looked at, in the first week, we looked at the authority of Jesus Christ or the power of Christ. And then the second week, we moved into the care of Christ, that if someone has power or authority, but they don't care about us, then that power or authority is not much help to us. And so the fact that Jesus cares and uses his power and authority to care for us is a great thing. And what's fueled that care and that power and authority is his grace, that the grace of God is, is the reason that Jesus cares and exercises his power and authority for us. And then all of that compelled him to go to the cross um, and we looked at the cross of Christ um, in the fourth week. And then last week, Pastor Rusty talked with us, just, okay, what do we kind of do with all of this information? Like, what do we kind of do with all of uh, these attributes of Jesus and this life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus? And we are to, our response should be to repent and believe that this should be the regular life rhythm of the Christian. And so the final thing that we want to look at, to no surprise here on Easter Sunday, we want to look at the resurrection of Christ. And so as we examine Christianity, it's important that as we keep this in mind, especially in a time like this, when people are asking a lot of questions, that when you evaluate any worldview, when you evaluate any religious belief, any belief at all, we want to look at its exclusive claims, right? We've been looking at the exclusive claims of Christ, that we believe that Jesus has all authority, that he cares, that he is gracious, that we've been looking at his cross, you know, all of these things are exclusive claims about Jesus Christ. And when you're going to evaluate any kind of belief, you want to evaluate from its exclusive claims, not its kind of particular claims, right? Uh, and so as we've examined all of these things, that we've come to a time now in Jesus' life where we would say this is a pivotal moment, right? That this is, Jesus has gone to the cross, he's, he's died a physical death and a spiritual death, and he is in the ground. Um, and so this is a pivotal moment in the life and ministry of Jesus. And we're right now in a pivotal moment in our time as well, with COVID-19, with the coronavirus being here in our country and across the globe. This is a pivotal moment that many of us will remember for many years to come. And that when we look at pivotal moments, pivotal moments many times shape who we are, right? They, they shape our, our life in the way that I've heard from many people that they're rethinking how they're going to work and how they're going to do life after the coronavirus, right? After COVID-19, that this has really shocked and in many ways awakened us to realities that we didn't even know because of this virus uh, coming to our borders. And so it's much the same when we think about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that this was a pivotal moment for him, and this is a pivotal moment for human history, for redemptive history. 
And so I was, I was thinking about that this week. I, was, I, was, I thought of this specific passage, not in the Gospel of Mark, but in another passage, that I think should remind us about the key moment here in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And it is taken from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 through 16. And it says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Well, we're in a time of need right now. And this passage is encouraging us to draw near. Why? Because we have a great high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. We must not forget that this life and death that Jesus was born into was something he was not familiar with. He was born into a world that he did not know at this intimate level. He was born into a world full of death and disease. This is something unique that's happening here in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And what we're going to see today is this, that the resurrection of Jesus is proof he has defeated disease and death. The resurrection of Jesus is proof, it is unequivocal proof that Jesus has defeated, ultimately, disease and death. And what greater hope that we could draw near to the throne of earth than that during this time? And so let's, let's look at this in three specific ways. First, we want to look at the revelation of the resurrection. The revelation of the resurrection. Now, there are many passages throughout the Gospel of Mark where Jesus does something unique that we, we recognize already from week one that he has a unique authority, he has a unique power. He teaches like no one else, right? Um, that, you, know, you, you see that even in the Gospel of Mark, that people say he taught with authority. So he's not like the scribes and the Pharisees. There's something special about his teaching. But one thing that's uniquely special about his teaching is that Jesus predicts his own death, right? Not only does he predict his own death, but he predicts his own resurrection. So he knew the day was coming, he would die and he would be raised from the dead. So, writer of Hebrews is talking about confidence and drawing near to the throne of grace. Well, Jesus had confidence, right? Because he believed the promises of God. He believed the scriptures, right? And so we have many examples of this sprinkled throughout the Gospel of Mark. I'm not going to read them all. You know, I'm just going to read one of them for you. And that is in um, Mark 8, verse 31. And here's what Jesus says. It says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. This is halfway through the book, right? Like we're in chapter 16 today. Halfway through, he's already predicting his death and resurrection. Other passages like Mark 9, uh, verses 30 through 32, Mark 10, verses 32 through 34, Jesus predicts his own death and resurrection. And so Jesus revealed through his exclusive teaching, his authoritative, his powerful preaching, his gracious and caring preaching, that he would die and be raised from the dead. This is the thing that he revealed to us in the Gospel of Mark, that he revealed to the world, that he revealed to the original disciples. This is the revelation of the resurrection. Now, it's important that as we think about that, that, you know, sometimes this, this happens to us when we read an ancient book and we, you know, in our modern time, we can get a little arrogant, right? And we might say something like, 
well, you know, all these people back in the day, they didn't like double check Jesus' facts, you know, and, uh, you know, do we really know this stuff happened, right? Well, we have to remember that people in the ancient world have the same brains that we have, right? They're not just like a bunch of weirdos back then and like we're normal now, like we're all weird now too, right? That we cannot forget that these same teachings, these same things that Jesus was teaching and revealing back then, people thought he was crazy back then too. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, we have this unique account uh, in chapter 3. It says, then he went home. So Jesus goes home. And a crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. Right? The crowd's so big, they couldn't even, they didn't have time to eat. Right? And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. Like his family goes to like hold kind of Jesus down. Right? They like go to grab him. For they were saying he is out of his mind. Jesus' own blood relatives think Jesus is crazy because of the things that he's teaching and doing and thinks, you know, like, oh, I'm going to be raised from the dead someday. If one of our family members came to us and said that, we'd, we'd probably think they're crazy too. So what's unique is this revelation that Jesus, they, they had skeptics back then too, Right? Uh, this is not anything new, right? People back then were just as skeptical about Jesus, just like people in our day can be. And so when we examine Christianity, it's so important that the Bible encourages us, if you're going to really evaluate, if you're going to examine Christianity from its exclusive claims, right? That's what we talked about in the beginning. You're going to evaluate Christianity from its exclusive claims. You must start with this key pivotal moment, the resurrection. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that if we're going to evaluate Christianity, he encourages it. He says you must start with the resurrection because if the resurrection is not true, then it's all meaningless. It's all vanity. And, he, and as the Apostle Paul says, like people should feel sorry. They should have sympathy, pity for us if the resurrection is not true. And so as you engage people during this time, right, as we think about maybe lost family members or coworkers or people that we interact, if they really want to really consider the truth of the Christian name, the, the, the revelation, they must start with the resurrection. That's important for us to remember as we're thinking through our faith, but also as we're sharing our faith with other people during this time. Now, Here's the thing, in my pastoral experience, in my Christian experience, when most people are evaluating Christianity, they don't start with the resurrection. They'll start with some weird story in the book of Judges or something. I don't know. <laughs> or they'll start with, uh, you know, I believe in science and I don't believe the creation account is seven literal days or something like that. We start in all these weird, obscure places that the Bible doesn't encourage us to. That the Bible itself says if you want to like work through whether or not the Christian faith is true, you start with the resurrection. Now, why do most people not start with the resurrection? Because here's the reality, friends, and I don't mean this to be arrogant or rude or unkind. They can't disprove it. <laughs> it is the most historically reliable claim in all of ancient iniquity, which we'll talk about that in, in just a moment. See, the, the truth of the reality is, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a fact. It is a historical fact. And people can't argue with it. Because it is a historically reliable account that we cannot forget that the Gospels 
were not just like mythology or legend that were written. These were historical biographies written by, about Jesus, the person, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. They expected people. They started publishing these and putting these in public libraries throughout the Roman Empire because they believed that this, the evidence was credible. They would put eyewitness testimony in accounts so that you could literally go and interview people based off of the evidence presented in these historical biographies. And so it's important that we understand this as Christians. That this is not just some made-up myth or story. This is a historical fact that we cling to. It's not just a blind faith. It is a researched faith. It's evidential faith. <laughs> it's important, you know, that, that you know, as someone who's, who's studied some of these things, like apologetics and things like that, uh, one thing that's really helpful for me, is whether it's in my own soul and counseling or I'm talking to others, is that to recognize there's kind of three basic types of knowledge, right? There's empirical knowledge, which is evidence, it's facts, history, you know, science, different things like that. There's existential knowledge, which is our personal beliefs and experiences that we have. And then there's normative knowledge, which is our presuppositions, the basis for our beliefs. And what happens is, is that people mix up those two things, that they may walk away from the faith because they're only thinking about their existential experience and they're not looking at the facts, so they're not thinking about their presuppositions. Or some people press into the facts and they don't think about their experience, they don't think about their presuppositions. We can all elevate one of them above the other. And we have to hold them all in balance. So we've looked at the revelation of the resurrection, and now let's look at the reality of the resurrection. Like I just talked to us about that the resurrection is a historical fact. That when we come to Mark 16, which is the main focus of our passage today, right? we know that there are these key women who have been following Jesus around for many years. They sat under his teaching, and they go to the tomb of Christ three days after his death. And this is what it says in verse 1. It says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome, brought spices so they may go and anoint him. Now see, that's a, see we miss these kind of little key points here that they, they, they don't seem to make sense to us, but when you put together a myth or a legend, you didn't put little details in it like this, that they brought spices, right? Well, why is that in there? These are little details to show you that his, some of his closest friends and disciples, like these women have been following him around for years, they think he's dead. <laughs> you brought spices to a tomb to embalm a body from it getting too stinky, right? Uh, the, the body would decay over time. And so they, this is something they really care about. They want to take care of him. And, but they believe he's dead. That's why they're bringing these spices and these, this oil to anoint him. And then it says in verse 2, and very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, another important detail here, who was going to roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? There's this massive stone they would put in front of a cave, you know, uh, to block robbers and, and great, you know, uh, uh, you know, grave robbers to come in and steal things uh, because they would put important spices and, and, and you know, uh, materials in there in the tomb with them. And grave robbers would come along and steal that stuff and go sell it and, you know, make some money for themselves and, and do these, these kind of things. Like people steal copper nowadays, right? Like that's, it's a very similar idea, right? 
We'll have grave robbers who would come and do this. So they're, they're worried. Who's going to roll away this big rock, this big stone? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. And here's an important little detail. It was very large. <laughs> Which is a way of saying nobody could have done this by themselves. This was a massive stone, right? It took a, a, an entire unit, an entire legion of, of soldiers kind of to, to roll this thing in front of this tomb. And they say, we're just three ladies. Like, we can't roll this thing back by ourselves. We're going to need some help. So we're hoping that the Roman soldiers are there. But the thing has been rolled back, and it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He was dead, right? You know that. You saw it. You were there when he was crucified on the cross. You know he was dead and in the ground. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Look at the evidence. He's gone. And they look over it. It's up to other gospels and they tell us that you can see that his grave clothes were still just there. Jesus is gone. The evidence presents it to us. Now, once again, as I said, we can, in our modern time, get, you know, a little uh, arrogant Think like, oh, we would have been more skeptical. We'd have looked into more detail about this than people do, uh, than they do in the ancient world. Well, the encouragement from the angel was for them to go back and to tell his disciples, to tell Jesus' closest followers that Jesus had risen from the dead. And so what do they do? They go back and they tell them. And what is the disciple of the most intimate? Remember, Jesus has taught on at least three separate occasions in the Gospel of Mark, in Mark 8, Mark 9, and Mark 10, that he was going to die. And he's going to be raised from the dead. It's very explicit, very clear. Right? And people even told him, they said, oh, Jesus, you're being crazy. You know, Peter even pulled him aside one time and said, Jesus, you know, try to rebuke him. Like, you ever thought about that? Like, <laughs> a person trying to rebuke the Son of God? <laughs> well, Peter sure, but he was bold enough to do it. And Jesus scolds him, right? And he says, you know, you're believing, you know, man. You're not believing God. And so they go back and they tell the disciples what's happened. And what is the response of the disciples who've been taught this at least three separate occasions in their Gospel of Mark? They don't believe the witness accounts. They think the women are crazy. They're like, oh, you're just being emotional. You probably had some kind of hallucination or something, right? We know from Luke 24, verse 11, right, that the disciples were skeptical. They had to see it for themselves. They had to look into it for themselves, right? Skepticism is not a recent idea. So what do they do? They go to the tomb and they see the evidence. He's gone. This is a historically reliable account. It is a reality that we must deal with. Dr. Aiken, in his commentary on the Gospel of Mark, says this about this same reality. The New Testament is the most well-authenticated document of antiquity, of, of ancient history. A fact that no textual critic of any theological persuasion to deny. He's saying people that don't even affirm that the Bible is the, is the word of God like he does, right? More liberal scholars that would say, oh, this is just kind of like ancient myth and you know, no, no different from the Iliad or you know, Greek mythology or anything like that. He said even they would not deny that this is the most well-authenticated document, right? A historically reliable document that we have more than 5,600 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament alone. These are of an earlier date and of a more reliable nature than any other work of antiquity. 
That's what Dr. David says. And you can look at the evidence, guys. There are plenty of books and resources that we, that your elders would be happy to give you that demonstrate to you this is a historically reliable fact. No one can deny that. Most, most people don't even make those arguments and claims anymore because they can't. They can't. It doesn't go up against it. The knife is clear. Right? It's been put under the surgery. When you go under to the surgery, look into the evidence, you're going to be put wide open. So if we're looking into the Christian faith, the reality of it, it's not for a lack of evidence. The evidence is there. There is plenty of evidence to believe that there are many Christians who don't look into the evidence, but it is reliable. Many resources are available. Now, so the question you have to ask yourself, okay, if the evidence is there, if the reality of the resurrection is true, why don't I believe? The question I would say, or to ask you, could it be you? Because <laughs> it could it be you don't want to believe, which is what we would call a presupposition. And then, thus proving the Bible's claim. The Bible claims we don't want to believe which is the reason we don't. It's not a lack of evidence. It's not that there's not personal experience that we can have with God. It's we don't want to believe. Romans 1 says we know the truth and we suppress it. So we have to ask ourselves, if we don't believe, why don't we believe? So we've looked at the reality of the resurrection we look at the revelation of the resurrection, and now let's look at the responses of to the resurrection. Right? But there's basically three main responses that I, I've seen in my life to the resurrection. Now, if you want to look at the biblical responses, I would encourage you to go read the Gospels, any of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as we've been going through the Gospel of Mark during this series, but you can read other Gospels to get a variety of possible responses that people have to the person of Jesus Christ. But if you also want to see the response to the resurrection, read the book of Acts, right? And we'll see not just the people during the life and death of Christ, but also post-resurrection if we look into the book of Acts. So I encourage you to consider doing that if you want to look at some biblical responses to this data, this evidence, to these stories of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But here are three common responses that I have seen in my life that are very common. The first response to the claims of Christ in the Gospel of Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John would be people who say it's not true. Right? Um, and for people who say it's not true, what we want to make sure that at least that they've done is that they've not just examined the scriptures, most of them have not, <laughs> but if they have, we want to make sure that they examine the evidence, they want to examine themselves, and they want to examine their presuppositions. You cannot just examine the claims, you also must examine how you feel about the claims, how you perceive the claims, the actual evidence of the claims. And most people have not gone deep a deep dive into that. 
And so we need to make sure and hold them accountable, just as we would to any worldview. If they, if you have an atheist friend and they want to make sure that you, you're holding, that they, you've looked into their claims, they have to do the same thing with you, right? To say, well, you actually need to look at my evidence and you need to, you know, examine yourself and your presuppositions. Well, we need to hold them to the same standard, right? If they're going to say this is not true, we say, okay, we need to, you need to really look at the evidence. You need to examine yourself. You need to understand what is the basis for your beliefs, right? Are you elevating science above the Bible? Are you elevating philosophy of the Bible? Why do I have to accept the basis of your belief, which is science or philosophy or whatever it may be, above the Bible? Why is your basis a better starting point than mine? And they have to prove that, <laughs> right? Just as much as we have to prove it to them. And so if someone's going to claim it's not true, we want to really encourage them to examine why is it not true. Okay? Second response is it's true and I don't care. I've met many people like this. In fact, many Christians functionally live this way. And in a time like this, in a pandemic time like this, in a time of global crisis, we have to start to ask ourselves that question. Is it true or I just, and, and I just don't care? Because the death and resurrection of Jesus should be the most comforting truth to us right now. So this is where our stated belief and our functional belief start to really kind of come to head. Do I really believe this? Do I really have confidence during this time? Am I going to be okay despite if my body were to decay and shut down? Do I really believe that I'm going to be raised with Christ? You see, many Christians don't think through, they think of the, the cross, the resurrection of Jesus as kind of like a one-time acceptance. And they don't think about, how does this transform the way that I talk and the way I handle my finances and the way that I parent my children and the way that I, you know, do, that I, that I work for my company or the way that I, I interact in my neighborhood? You see, the death and resurrection of Jesus is the most pivotal moment, not just in Jesus' life, but it should be the most pivotal moment in our lives if, as Christians. So is it a true, but I don't care? So first we had it's, it's not true. Then we have it's true, but it doesn't really do much for me. And then third, it's true and it's life transforming. It's truly changed my life. You see, the true Christian is shaped by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It has truly changed their lives in a radical way. And if you remember, the writer of Hebrews told us in Hebrews 4 that we draw near to the throne of grace in what specific time? In your time of need, in your time of crisis. What more important truth could we need right now, friends? in a pandemic time, in a global crisis time, than the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is what we've been all about for, for human history, right? For the, for the history of the Christian faith, this is always what we've been about. And this is the time when we've usually flourished the most is during times of crisis, in terms of real community, global crisis. The church has always stepped up as people who are of confidence, of assurance, that the early Christians went into the streets and brought lepers into their home, people of plague into their home, because they were confident they could face death with confidence, 
saying, I will take care of the least of these at, my, at the risk of my own life because I believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. They were people of hope, and this was not a blind faith for them. They believed the resurrection was a reality. It was historically reliable. They believed it's revelation that Jesus predicted this would happen, and then he did it. The resurrection is proof that Jesus has ultimate authority. He has ultimate power because he was dead in the ground. Why was he dead and in the ground? Because of our sin, right? But he has the authority, he has the power to be raised from the dead. Proof that Jesus has all authority. And why does he go to the ground? Why does he go to the cross? Because he cares. He cared about our greatest problem, which was sin, Satan, and death. He dealt with it. He had the authority to do about it, and he, and he cared. And why does he do this? Because he is gracious. It's not anything that we were even asking for. According to Romans 1, we didn't even want it. We were suppressing the truth. But he transforms us because he cares so much, and he's so gracious. He says, I'm going to give you, a, that's what grace is in its most purest form. It's a gift that you're not even asking for. It's unmerited favor. And he's saying, I'm offering you this wonderful gift of eternal life. Freedom from sin, Satan, disease, and death. He's offering it to us freely because of his grace. And he goes to the cross. As I said, that why does he go to the cross? Because our, the greatest threat that what brought disease and death into the world was sin. And so when Jesus goes to the cross, he's nailing sin, disease, and death to the cross. He's killing it, defeating it, finally, decisively. And the resurrection is the proof. It is the proof that Jesus has defeated disease and death. So let's find comfort in that on this Resurrection Sunday. As we celebrate Easter, as Christians are celebrating Easter all over the globe, we are the most confident people all over the globe right now that during this time of need, we draw near to the throne of grace, knowing that we have a great high priest who can sympathize with our every weakness. He cares he has the authority and power to do something about it, and he is gracious. And he would lavish on us the entire kingdom because he did through his son, Jesus. So let me pray for us. And pastor's going to, Dave's going to come up and he's going to close the benediction. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the revelation the resurrection of your son Jesus that he predicted, he told, I mean, we could even go back to the Old Testament where my fair passage in Job 19 says that there, there is a theology of the resurrection even in the Old Testament. And Jesus comes along and he makes that clear and decisive, concise. He says, I'm going I'm to die, I'm going to suffer at the hands of man, but after three days I will be raised. He revealed that very clearly to us. And it is a reality, it is a fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth, the, ancient, the, 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 person, the, the rabbi teacher, of the, the carpenter of ancient iniquity, was actually physically raised from the dead. And Paul talks about this in the 1 Corinthians 15. There's 500 witnesses that saw the resurrected Christ. 500 witnesses in a court of law would be clear evidence this is a reality. How the question is, Father, that you ask us is, what, how are we going to respond to this revelation and this reality? 
And my hope is, is that many of the saints at Refuge and as we go out in this pandemic time that we would spread this. We would be known more about spreading the reality and the revelation of the resurrection than known more for about spreading COVID-19. We should be less concerned about COVID-19 and we should be more concerned about spreading this truth about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Father, please give us hope during this time. Give us confidence to draw near the throne of grace, knowing that you care, that you have the power and authority, and you are gracious, that you have dealt with our greatest need. We trust you. We believe you. Help us to press into you during this time and to remember the resurrection of, the, of Jesus Christ is proof that you have finally and decisively defeated disease and death. We pray all of this confidently in the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.